episode 35, Golfing with Cows. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to an August 15, 2007 podcast from the Kansas State Historical Society. In this bi-weekly podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. If you think that I don't know about the little tricks you play. We're back for the second-to-last episode in our marathon series dedicated to objects from the museum's current exhibit, Game Faces, Kansans and Sports. Business and golf go hand-in-hand. Join curator Blair Tarr and I as we examine a set of golf clubs used by a Topeka businessman that helped establish one of the state's earliest golf courses. You'll find out how this flour mill tycoon closed the deal, all while putting around cows and playing through their steaming hazards. You took advantage of my trust in you and I was so far away. Later, we'll read some feedback from a listener in the United Kingdom, and then we'll quash the hopes of another listener who thought she could stump us in a round of six degrees of William Allen White. But first, golfing with cows. Good morning, Blair. I'm just trying to warn the people that history and bad jokes are looming in the future. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you said four because we're going to be talking about a golf club set. Yes, and they don't say five on the golf course. Well, they should. Yes. We're going to be talking about a golf club set um, that was used here in Topeka, and it belonged to Armin Fassler. And uh, Mr. Fassler was a member of the Topeka Country Club. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Mr. Fassler's life and the development of the Topeka Country Club? And try to make it interesting. It, 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 two words or less? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Fassler was a good businessman here in Topeka. He, he started out in Ohio where his family was manufactured harvesting machines. But when he came out here, he bought into one of the mills that were in North Topeka, the Inner Ocean Mills. He was the manager there for, I think, 40 years or so. So he, he'd been around for a while. And like a lot of good businessmen, always trying to find ways to socialize with other businessmen to uh, be able to make deals. And he was he golfed regularly at Topeka's first golf course, which was over by Potwood, the Potwood neighborhood. Didn't mm-hmm. last very long, but he did go golfing there. And some of the businessmen decided that a country club, which was becoming the rage in the country at the time, was just what Topeka needed. So he's involved in that. In fact, he's the first president in 1906, I believe it is. So around this time, that's when country clubs start appearing? Yeah, uh, a little bit before that, uh, you start seeing golf clubs show up in the country, and it really does take the nation by storm, actually. So it's really a fascination with golf. So on the subject of golf, um, where was the first game of golf played? And uh, on a related note, why does a golf course have 18 holes? Okay, well, it, it could have started. It's, they're not really sure where it started. There's some people that credit it with the Chinese, some with the Dutch, but most credit it with the Scottish. It's really as around the 1100s. Wow. Although the modern game really does get established in Scotland around 1450 or so. So it's been around a while. So they're playing golf in medieval Scotland? Yeah. Can't you see the. <laughs> 
the Thanes and all the other kings of Scotland playing. <laughs> sure, sure. And Monty Python as well. <laughs> well, that's what I would picture yes. as Monty Python. So why 18 holes? Well, when the golf courses were originally laid out, uh, they were sort of it. The holes were laid out end to end on the property, and this supposedly at St Andrews, the oldest golf course in Scotland. Um, they originally laid it out so that there were eleven holes, and then when you got to the end, you started playing all over again, so there'd be twenty-two. Jeez. Then a little bit later, they decided a couple of the holes were just too short, so they got rid of them and dropped the number down to nine holes. And so when you played nine and played nine back. You'd have 18 holes. Okay. Okay. Um, well, this particular gentleman, uh, Mr. Fassler, he actually had a caddy, um, John Ripley. And we have some documentation from Mr. Ripley, um, who wrote about his experience as a caddy. And uh, he described some of the unique hazards uh, you were talking about. Uh, what were the worst of some of those hazards? Well, first of all, John was a good local historian, too. He grew up and lived over to be over 100 years old and was really... Jeez. Fascinating character. So he knew everybody from about 1890 on into the 1980s. Wow. So, uh, but yeah, he got to ca- caddy for Fassler. Uh, he did say that he wasn't the usual caddy for Fassler, but he did it on occasion. This was started out at the old Potwin course, the first one in town. Well, there were a few obstacles because there were cows and grazing in the area so they occasionally wandered onto the course right um there's no record as to whether or not you were penalized a stroke for hitting a cow or not (laughs) Uh, but one of the things that the caddies had to do was that they had to always have a cloth or a tissue just in case the ball hit another obstacle that the cows left behind (laughs) i think you know what i mean like a a cow (laughs) little dung yes Yeah. yeah That was so, that's kind of a miserable job. See, they'd have yeah, to clean off the golf ball. You you really hoped he tipped them well for that. <laughs> um, okay, so golf courses are traditionally known as a place of business. Do you think that Mister Fassler then he, he did he often conduct business on uh, the Topeka Country Club golf course? Well, there's no way of really knowing for sure because it does sound like he had a tremendous interest in golf. He does sound like he got out to the course every time he had a chance. Uh, but, yeah, it would make sense that he would. He was prominent enough in town, and there were other prominent businessmen that uh, at least they kept their social contacts up on the course, if nothing else. They didn't make any business deals. Um, Mr. Fassler's bag, it's a its a canvas bag, um, cylindrical shaped, but it's narrower, or it's more narrow than the um, bags you see uh, today. Uh, and that's interesting because he's got about 20 golf clubs. <laughs> uh, why such a narrow bag and why so many golf clubs? Uh, the narrow bag is probably just because nobody thought about carrying around half the stuff that they carry around on the golf course today. Additional uh, balls. There is a small pouch on there that they probably had a few in, but they probably have a rag and has, some of them people might even have a flask or something like that. that they would <laughs> a flask? Well, you know, okay. a little liquid refreshment during the Golf was good back then. <laughs> Flasks, hitting cows. Why so many clubs? I, I suspect he didn't use them all at one time. Most of the ardent golfers I know, well, not that I know a lot of them, they're always looking for a better golf club. And I suspect we just have the accumulation of several years. That I see. Okay. Um, so finally, golf has a jargon or a language all of its own that's sort of evolved okay. from years of tradition. So I want to test your knowledge of the jargon, Blair. 
So I'm going to give you a golf term, and then you give me sort of the English translation. Okay. Okay, you good with that? <clears throat> yeah, I can probably okay. give you a couple of translations. Okay. Uh, well, let's start out with the word par. Jack Parr, he was host of The Tonight Show in the mid-60s, just before Carson. Huh, I didn't no, know. Yeah. I didn't know that's what that meant. <laughs> no, that's that's the number of strokes that you're supposed to take from T to the hole. Okay. The second is links. Sausage, time for breakfast. Let's go. No. Oh, sausage and golf. Actually, that's probably not too far off an analogy because we're talking about St. Andrews being laid out end-to-end on the property so that you kind of have holes set up like their series of links. Well, I'll be. And I think there's also something about that links is a term that's kind of used interchangeably with golf course, but a true links has to deal with how the golf course is laid out, whether it's laid out naturally using the natural formations or whether it's been landscaped. Um, third term is worm burner. I had a worm burner at a local restaurant last week. I had indigestion <laughs> for days. No, uh, <laughs> I, I think, uh, as I recall, this is a shot off the tee that usually doesn't get that far off the ground, which would be most of my shots. Yeah, yeah. I always call them squirrel killers, but um, then we have sandbagger. Those are the people you see after floods or during floods that are loading up sand into the bags and <laughs> trying to make little dikes. No. Well, I had these all wrong. I no. Well, this is sort of one that goes beyond golf, you know, because every, I think every sport has sandbaggers. There are always people that are trying to tell you, oh, I'm not really this good at this. You know, even poker has people like, <laughs> like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what it is. It's somebody who's claims he's not as good as he really is, and it helps him get, get a little advantage, or uh, particularly in golf for handicaps. If he lies a little bit and he gets a higher handicap or a lower handicap, I forget what, it must be a higher handicap, gives him a tremendous advantage in a tournament. So I see. And fin- the final term is iron hooker. Uh, they, I don't know if I should bring this up. They're, they, <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> there are some of the people that work in my neighborhood. Uh, they... <laughs> Every now and then the police round them up, but it's the, the iron hookers. Yes, the iron hookers. <laughs> you know, I'm not exactly sure of the golf. I think this has something to do with how you hold the golf club, and it causes it to hook the ball to hook a lot worse than it really ought to. I, I see. Just a mishandling of the and somebody who does it on a regular basis. I see. Uh, well, Blair, thanks for um, clearing up those terms. Yes, well, you know, I'll, I'll be out on the links anytime. I think we'll both be at the same kind of courses, the miniature ones. <laughs> okay, and thanks for telling us about Mr. Fassler's uh, golf club set. You're great, welcome. A long time ago, we used to be friends, but I haven't thought of you lately at all. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. And here with me today is Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and Assistant Museum Director Rebecca Martin. Ladies, how are you doing? Great. Ditto. <laughs> Before we get to the uh, six degrees of William Allen White, first we're going to do a little uh, a little listener feedback. And Nikayla, uh, why don't you go ahead and read uh, uh, read what our fans have to say? Well, we got some pretty cool feedback this time. Um, we got an email from Mark E. Connolly. 
And he says, congratulations on your terrific podcast. I download a group of podcasts each Sunday ahead of a busy week of business-related travel around the UK, and having discovered yours a few months back, it's always on my list. They're fascinating and provide an excellent distraction from the daily grind. So he's in he's in Britain, right? And we, we all wondered... How did, you find out? How did he find out about our podcast? What is the guy in the UK listening to a podcast about Kansas? Yeah. What's with that? So you emailed him back and asked, and he says, why Kansas in particular? Truth is, I was sitting at a red light in Florida exiting a Walmart last year, and a huge <laughs> truck with Kansas City, Missouri on the side <laughs> raced by, and I became curious about the city, Googled for info, and stumbled across the podcast. The podcast gave an excellent feel for the people and times and a great escape from a busy day. Huh. Thanks, so, Martin. Yeah, an all-American way to find out about me. Coming out of Walmart, <laughs> saw the truck go by. That's awesome. Okay, now we'll get to the six degrees of William Allen White. And uh, the, 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 the goal last time was to solicit a challenge from the public, and I believe we did that. Yes, we, we were inundated with emails, but <laughs> one of them sifted to the top because it was so articulate and loquacious, and uh, man, it's just a standout challenge, and I quote, I bet you can't connect William Allen White to Aaron Burr, end quote. From <laughs> Teresa and Lawrence, thank you so much for that challenge, and uh, we, we just think you're great, Teresa. So, Merle, do you think you can solve that challenge? Nice try, Teresa, but uh, it was not a problem at all. In fact, I, I could do this without even looking it up. It was, it was easy. <laughs> okay, so the trick is to connect William Allen White, who is the Pulitzer Prize winning editor from Emporia, Kansas, um, to Aaron Burr, who is the third vice president of the United States. He served under Thomas Jefferson. Uh, it's so easy. It's so easy. <laughs> William Allen White knew Teddy Roosevelt. They were buddies. Of course. They were, politi- I mean, they were political buddies. They hung out all the time. Teddy Roosevelt is from... Is from a uh, established. What are you mouthing, Rebecca? BFF. <laughs> oh, they were BFF. <laughs> Best friends forever. Yeah, so Teddy Roosevelt, of course, comes from the Roosevelt family, which is a really affluent, established family um, from New York, and he had an ancestor that served in the New York State Senate. Um, and he served with Alexander Hamilton, and they helped ratify the Constitution. So we make it to Hamilton, who, as we all know, in an infamous pistol duel on July 11, 1804, Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. So it goes William Allen White to Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt to uh, his great-great-great-grandpa, uh, his great-great-grandpa to Alexander Hamilton to Aaron Burr. Too wow. easy. Yeah, connected by a bullet. That wasn't even a challenge at all. No. Teresa, maybe you can come up with something a little bit more challenging next time. Or Right. So the goal uh, is to provide us again. We're soliciting challenges. So send us. If you think, uh, pretty much if you think there's somebody we can't connect William Allen White to, uh, we'll uh, probably prove you wrong. So uh, and, and they have a page on Wikipedia yeah, that you the- did not create yourself. <laughs> Right, so so send us your challenge. Uh, send it to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. And uh, if we can't uh, solve it, uh, what do they win, Rebecca? They win two free passes to the museum that are starting to get a little moldy. Yeah. They're going to turn to dust. Mm-hmm. So uh, send us your challenge. I know you've deceived me. Now here's a surprise. That concludes episode 35. 
golfing with cows. Join us in two weeks when the museum's assistant director, Rebecca Martin, examines a pair of green Naugahyde chaps associated with a champion rodeo family from Kansas. She'll explain the origins of rodeo and why these chaps look like they could be inflatable. If you have questions or suggestions, let us know. Send an email to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcast with an S. This podcast is a production of the Kansas State Historical Society. I can see for miles.